Film Trace. This is a podcast where we trace the life of a movie from conception, production, all the way to release and reception. I'm going to call this a special movie. This is a special movie. <laughs> yeah, you said that. In the... picking. You forced me into picking it. I did. It was a, a horrendous choice between uh, Army of Thieves, the spinoff that somehow is like not being talked about on the internet at all. Yeah, does it even uh, exist? I see I it on know. Netflix, but no one's watched it. So I don't know real. Spinoff of Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead zombie movie, which had a, a lot of runway and I don't know if you call it buzz, but just people were discussing it for a hot minute. Though that and Also, our season four premiere, wasn't it? Right, right. Yeah. So we were on the hype train. Right. Uh so I mean we had it in there and it's like one of Netflix's only like really big uh movies for the months of November December with maybe the exception of uh, that uh Rebecca Hall movie Passing that yes. they're trying to pump for Oscars. Um but uh I wasn't I just wasn't feeling it and I don't think you were either. No. no we didn't really want to be dive back into that world especially sans zombies so we, it was tough, uh, enough, tough enough to watch that movie yeah, i mean that right. movie honestly it's serious it's one of the hardest watches of my life <laughs> yeah it, there, no one wants to to go back there so let's uh instead i thought take a look at what paramount plus had off for offerings uh <laughs> this past week because why not um i let my trial lapse and had to p- and paid six dollars anyways <laughs> so let's check out paranormal activity next of kin and i've like, never seen a paranormal activity which before. is crazy to me because like <laughs> paranormal activity like unless you lived under a rock like was like the biggest movie one of the biggest movies in like the mid 2007 it came out and it was like mm-hmm. nuts i mean do you remember like the the thing that sticks out to me back then uh and i didn't see it in the theater back then but it was like the TV ads that were popping up. Mm-hmm. Do you remember these? It was basically they, the classic showing the audience. Right. Like right? night Not vision reactions. Yeah. yeah. And then like people were like losing their minds. Uh, but that obviously like paranormal activity was like, mm-hmm. we'll dive a little bit deeper into that. A huge, huge hit uh, back then spawned what? I don't even know how many movies there are. This is the seventh movie. One, this two, three, four, five. If you yeah, seven. don't count the Japanese spinoff, I believe. Which was a, it was just a sequel to the original. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's very confusing, but it spawned this massive um, horror, uh, I don't know what you call it, series, uh, franchise, if you will. Uh, put loosely Jason connected, Blum. yeah. Yeah, loosely connected. They're not, like, the first four seem to be pretty, I, I don't even know, I don't even know how to talk about them, because, like, I've only seen the first two. Um, and obviously this last paranormal next of kin, paranormal activity next of kin um yeah i guess they're loosely you know tied together it launched jason blum which is super important because he's basically like owns the horror genre now through blumhouse productions that was his first real sort of kickoff uh it was a huge a huge deal back then and the thing that always like struck me a little bit odd about the paranormal activity thing was that um you know i didn't see it till years after it came out and i was like wait this is what the buzz was about because it's like not it's not scary like it's basically home videos of um like security footage of a house and that's kind of all it really is and so i think it was one of those films that came along at at the exact right time and you had to see it with a group of people in the theater and like amped everybody up um i think that's one of the reasons why it was so successful the thing was shot for like fifteen thousand dollars the original 
Right. Um, and I think, what's the story? I have it listed somewhere. Yeah, shot for $15,000, played at some horn scream festival. It was stop, uh, spotted by a CAA rep uh, who quickly signed the director, uh, Oren uh, Pelly, I think his name is. Mm-hmm. Uh, they sent out DVDs to everybody in, in, in the industry. Uh, and Jason Blum got one because he was, I think, you know, doing his own thing, wanted, wanted to produce it or at least release it. They went back, did like 200K more of work on the film in terms of editing, music, stuff like that, and then put it out uh, in uh, 2007. It was just unbelievable hit. Uh, did $193 million, uh, I think. Oh, no, what did it do domestically? I have it down somewhere. Um, why did you avoid these movies is the real question I have. The, thank you for asking. I was begging to tell you. Um, <laughs> I think it's because I mean, exactly- it, it doesn't seem it doesn't make sense. I would imagine that you would have seen most of these. Well, you know, it, if you look at it on the surface, yeah, like uh, I very much like you was yeah. uh, astounded and kind of obsessed with the Blair Witch Project. The kind of Oh, God. Uh, we can talk about that for hours. <laughs> found footage, yeah. Or whenever we got that uh, 20th anniversary, that we'll we'll definitely dive back into that. Um, <laughs> Eight years from now, no, that's yeah, the 30th yeah. anniversary. <laughs> Season oh 38. God. Finally, we got to it. <laughs> oh man, such is our life. Uh, the the real reason I think was just like I was definitely kind of out of love with the horror genre <sighs> in the mid to late 2000s. Why? Um, yeah, in I'm looking back, and what did we what did we have back then? Like the Rob Zombie Halloween movies. It was bad. Uh, Dead Silence, 1408, The Mist, like some of the worst Stephen King adaptations. Whoa, um, whoa, 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 whoa! Are you gonna <laughs> attack The Mist on this show in my presence? <laughs> yeah, I am. That, One of my another... favorite movies. Oh my <laughs> god, it's so good. Perfection. It, there's they, like it was just a bad time period for horror i think um, well overall yeah, yeah especially compared to the kind of renaissance that came after and kind of the winding down of like the late 90s early 2000s uh you know rush of like embracing the corniness uh yeah of scream and what have you and also like a lot of good like especially foreign art horror movies were happening um i think uh you know like uh, high tension and oh, stuff like movie. that right uh, um i mean 2007 was also the year of 28 weeks later one of the most disappointing yeah, sequels <laughs> very true um it's just it, i do think that i was just kind of turned off from that type of movie i also think that there was just um something so it's it, at least in the those uh in the buzz and in the commercials it seemed like there was nothing much going on in them and it sounds like i didn't really miss much if it is exactly like you say surveillance yeah. cameras like i don't know i mean i i am curious now having watched this seventh installment and also you know learning i don't i don't think i knew before I, I read our notes that you put together um about just how insanely profitable this was and that's you know makes me curious of yeah. how exactly that that happened so i might I mean, I we had this dis, a similar discussion back when we did the episode on The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. Yeah. Um, I similarly had little to no interest in The Conjuring universe and James <laughs> Wan in general, but now I've been reinvigorated, especially with uh, no, this year's don't Malignant. It. Don't say it. <laughs> I've never been more angry at a movie. I, like, I wanted to kick in my TV. <laughs> like, I was so pissed off. Like, oh, my God. Big it, fan like, of that. Yeah. 
So you're you're not like uh, I I kind of tend to explore a little bit more on the horror genre, especially on the the mainstream side. Sure. Just because I'm curious to see like what what people are taught, like what people are into. Paranormal Activity to me though, it took me years to see the original, and it, yeah, it, it is exactly what you get in the trailer. It's yeah, just security home vid- video of a couple fighting a lot and some weird stuff moving and then it gets really dumb at the end and yeah i think the the weird thing about the paranormal activity thing i think for us specifically and you mentioned this is that you know we were teenagers when blair witch came out and blair witch if you haven't seen it you probably have but if you haven't um i just rewatched it last week for like Ooh. a horror uh halloween marathon i watch it probably about once a year actually now that i think about it um it i think what it's awesome about that movie is back then it was powerful because yeah it was found footage it was one of the first found footage movies it was not the first okay right there was definitely some other movies along the way but it is specifically kind of a horror genre I mean, you can even go all the way back to cannibal holocaust which is, you know, an infamous film that was found footage and like really played up found footage so much that the director was put in jail in Italy uh, because they thought it was a snuff film. Right. Uh, like that's how deep that one went. And they, they went pretty deep on Blair Witch too, right? Like the internet was just coming into being. And so they used that advantage of people not really understanding how the internet works. And is this stuff true? Is it not true? And played up this mythology that this footage was real um and by the time we get to so and it, it landed with a splash and it was a hugely successful movie back then considered to be the most successful or most profitable movie of all time blair witch that is um and by the time this hits it's sort of like well been there done that right like right. i was sort of like well we've already done this and not even 10 years ago so like what are we trying to do here and i think the thing that made it interesting to me was that there was no um playing up that this was real that didn't happen in any of the marketing at all like this is yeah they never said hey this is actually home footage of a, of a house of a real <laughs> right, family right. no that's like oh no this is a movie which i always found also kind of a little bit strange because it was like a, maybe audiences were too cynical by then mm-hmm. to believe in something like that i mean it is hard to believe i always ask this of people when they first saw blair Witch, but did you think it was real uh no i mean i think there was like definitely a a you know a piece of my teenage self that was wanted you know yeah but no no i think we were uh, were much too cynical that age yeah absolutely um i mean i had at that point definitely uh lost uh faith in god so why would i have faith in (laughs) paranormal (laughs) what about faith in the devil though (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what, what what's his name asmodeus yeah what, i don't even can't even i tried to get into the mythology of this stuff and i'm like no nah, this is not yeah. even remotely i'm actually going back through the the history of found footage and i'm remembering i don't know why the hell i did i think it, this is one of my first years teaching um straight out of college and yeah. like i was trying to very much like um appease my students and i i taught film studies and uh uh so they there was another movie in 2007 um that all my students were telling me to see and i saw and i regretted it instantly uh i don't know if you ever heard of it or saw it the poughkeepsie tapes oh classic yeah oh my god yeah it's not good about a um 
it's just like 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 Hannibal Holocaust. Like they're they're not they're like actively trying to disgust you and disturb you. And yeah, um, it's it's uncomfortable and not yeah. and not in a fun way. Right, right. Uh, so I think that that maybe is uh, another thing that might have turned me off that I've forgotten about until now. Um, it's just like that that whole style like you had said it it, it definitely felt played out by two, 2007 well also like paranormal activity felt like a total gimmick mm-hmm. and like because when you get those ads of the the people sitting in the theater in night vision you're like oh this feels like the 1970s like an ad for 1970s like you know what i mean like a, yeah a really old school sales technique and it just felt really uncool to us millennial hipsters like it just <laughs> right, did not right. it felt very inauthentic I mean, I felt very cynical going to see Cloverfield the next year, 2008, too. Oh, was that the year after? Okay, I was trying right. to figure out when that was. Because that's, I mean, probably another I'm mean, huge found footage movie. Right. But by the time you get to, to that one, wow, does it feel lame. Yeah, totally. Right. Like, it, it's, it, it's so, like, corporatized in that film in particular that you, you can't even, like, you can't even bank on the fact that, like paranormal activity at least the first one costs so little to make um yeah did that continue to be true for the subsequent you know i couldn't i didn't see the films. the budgets on all of them but I, I can't imagine like any of them it is blom jason blom and he has like one of those those hard hard rules about like budgets yeah he basically like his rule was like five million i think okay number two is three million i'm just yeah. doing some quick wikipediaing and number three was five million so yeah, like, so yeah steadily going up but still staying around yeah. or under five mil and just the returns in north america so the original was like what at most i think it was bought for distribution for like 350k just 107 million yeah uh second one like you said what was it three million dollar budget um right. 84 million dollars this is just in north america like so like if you the reason why i'm doing america because it's easier to calculate what they pulled in it's 50 percent, right so the studio gets 50 percent of the ticket sales so in the first one you're talking it, that's almost all profit 106 mm-hmm. million dollars <laughs> like uh and that's you know not even include the world box office so it's these things were um real money makers and it, it put the blumhouse model on the map essentially you know, you can make something for under five million, uh, definitely under ten million dollars, and all you got to do is do like thirty million dollars at the box office. Yeah, uh, which is not that hard if you have the right marketing uh, campaign behind it. Right. And by um, the time they got around to the the fifth one, where they dropped the numbers, it was just called uh, Paranormal Activity: The Ghost Dimension. Um, they were putting out ten million to make that, and that was the first Paranormal Activity movie to make under one hundred domestic. It made only seventy eight. Yeah. So it's, I mean, a, a kind of Im- impressive that they are eking it out still um, with well, yeah. uh, Next of Kin. Well, it's interesting, too, because he said Ghost Dimension, Blum said Ghost Dimension was going to be the last one. This one came out in 2015. I remember following it on, uh, was I doing it on, I don't think I was doing the Wildline uh, box office podcast yet. But like I remember looking at that one, I was like, oh, this is over. Yeah. Like it like completely was DOA. Jason Blum said it was the last one. But here we are again. Here we are again with Paranormal Activity Next of Kin, you know, six years after the last Paranormal Activity movie. Yeah. Um, why don't you why don't you run down for our dear listeners, Dan, what what the hell this one is about? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh so essentially it does do a found footage still, lightly. I would say it's a light found footage movie. Uh so Margot, a young woman who is abandoned by her mother as a baby, travels to a secluded Amish community with a documentary film crew seeking answers about her mother and extended family. 
skeleton uh, crew. It's two guys. Yeah, two. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, two guys. One for con- the one romance, one com- uh, comedic relief. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, it's uh, it. One thing to know: it doesn't take place inside of a house mostly. Right. right? There's a lot of shots outside. Uh, it takes place in an Amish community, so it, it, it's very different than the other films. There is not that, and I think one of the draws of the original Paranormal Activity was that it could take place in your cookie cutter apartment building, like I live in. Mm-hmm. Like it's kind of brought like the ghostliness and hauntingness to a very sterile, uh, sort of benign environment, which is scary. Um, I think to some degree, <laughs> and here, um, they're, you know, they're, they're a crew sort of traveling to a strange place with a strange society and group of people. I mean, there's a lot of hints here. I say to like Wicker Man, Midsummer kept coming yep. to mind. Yeah. Um, you know, the outsiders and sort of this strange community that kind of feels like a cult, so to speak. The the horror movie by the Fairley Brothers, Kingpin, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, right. <laughs> and uh yeah, so I mean that's kind of the setup. Um and, you know, they get out there, things get weird. Um, you know, what do you think about this found footage? Like, ooh, there's two big questions, and it comes up in like a lot of the critical talk about this movie. Uh, it irked a lot of people that it didn't seem to commit fully to the found footage right, perspective. Right. What do you think about this? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 one of those things that is, uh, so I'd say, moderately distracting uh, yeah. when you're like he's you know a character goes to the go- goes to the car outside to get something they forgot. And they just so happen to bring their camera along with them, and it's just it 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 definitely yeah. helps uh, bolster that argument that it's just like where they're they're it you wonder like I mean that's kind of the point of our show right we need to dig in do we think does there is there any evidence out there that like a this was meant to be a script for a paranormal activity movie all along and b um, how committed really is anybody to the found footage like it it, i mean at at one point especially you know in the era of blair witch and i'd say even probably in the era of the original paranormal activity was almost like a dogmatic right like a dogma 95 style kind of ethos for horror especially for horror directors to kind of you know bring that verisimilitude to the screen um but uh how much does that really matter i i don't know like i i come well, like, i come into this not knowing the style and how it's evolved over the course of the franchise and it seems like you basically only stuck with them for the second one um so maybe so neither of us now we're we're, <laughs> we're walking in a blizzard here uh that, that's on an amish farm is what we're doing um <laughs> and maybe I, we'll, we'll suddenly the, go to slow motion for no reason well yeah dude i love that was like favorite thing um <laughs> It's funny you bring that up because I do think it's important even to sort of go back again to Blair Witch where um, that was total commitment. Yeah. That was we're going to get young actors uh, who are going to improv most of the movie. Uh, They're going to give them some sort of hints about, you know, you know, basically some beats, but all the dialogues uh, improvised. Right. Right. Um, And they're filming. Right. That was those the actors were filming themselves. Yeah. The actors right. were also the filmmakers. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So it was sort of like uh, that was a, a total commitment to it. And you see that play out in the film because the experience for the audience is one where you do feel like you're there with them. 
uh, and so you're inhabiting their emotions, their fear, which is vital to this um, subgenre of horror. And if you don't do that sort of connection to the audience, and I think that's why I didn't like Paranormal Activity all that much, the original, there was no connection there. Yeah. Right. We were voyeurs. Right. And it's literally surveillance footage. Yeah, exactly. It's like already we're the Aussie like, or something. Like right. it's a number it, of degrees it, removed. Yeah, it's there's a distance there where you did not have that at all in Blair Witch. You felt like you were there with the kids making the movie in the woods. Yeah. Like the iconic shot of Heather, like with the camera up her snotty nose in the middle of the night, right? Is it like the first selfie? Okay. Um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah exactly which is kind of interesting too because there's a whole i mean yeah, i could talk about we could talk about players forever um where this one is interesting too because it doesn't it doesn't have the static camera of the original one i think the second one was a static camera too for the most part okay um here you know we are supposed to be with this film crew um well this group of friends almost and actually it's not even a group of friends it's just like a boyfriend girlfriend and then a sound guy that shows sound, up and it, how they procured the sound guy is, yeah. is left to the viewer's imagination yeah, it doesn't. Uh, then we do have masks involved because oh, yeah uh, i was gonna mention that yeah because a little a little uh pandemic uh sort of nod in history as people right. will go back and watch it in 20 years I'm like what are these masks for um, i will say that the the one piece of comic relief that probably did get me is when he says uh the sound guy picks them up from the airport he's got a mask on and they ask if they can t- all take masks off and the, and the sound guy says oh yeah i've had COVID like five times <laughs> like, like 40 I, times <laughs> for something like that it was a, like uh, that, i mean first first time like covid related humor in the media i think really what are they going for, for it the first to so. the jokes it's a tough spot to be in yeah. um but yeah i mean i think that like um the original question was like how committed are people to found mm-hmm. footage and I think that the criticism on this movie is that like, it feels like the found footage is slapped onto a script meant for something else. I think that's totally fair. I think that feels true. Now we have to know who wrote this thing. Um, yes. So That'll director is William Eubank, uh, who did love, which is the angels and airwaves uh, film, which I've not know. seen, unfortunately, because <laughs> I am an angels and airwave fanboy and I love the band, but I don't think I can do that to myself. Uh, he did Signal in 2014, which I sort of remember watching. Is that about mm-hmm. cell phone signals being like inhabited by ghosts or something? Yeah, it was a American remake of. Uh, I, I don't remember where the original White was noise? from. Oh, I think I know you're talking about. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, and then he did Underwater, which have you not seen Underwater? <laughs> no, I've, I've been wanting oh, to my for a while. God, this is a film made for you. Yeah, <laughs> it is just like hyper stylized and really interesting i mean it's not a great film but it is uh, I, I found it to be v- super interesting and engaging and a really rich visual style to it um so that's william eubank but i think the writer here is even more important christopher landon uh who's the son of michael landon the old tv star if you're a little bit old you might remember him um he's written all this stuff like disturbia paranormal activity 2 paranormal activity 3 4 the marked ones uh he did viral in 2016 and i think most importantly he's also a director yeah. he um wrote and directed the paranormal activity four and the marked ones but happy death day wrote and directed yeah. happy death day to you wrote and direct and also freaky he wrote and direct mm-hmm. um I, there's something there like i did not know this guy although did you know him before this uh i mean 
I didn't know him by name, but yeah. uh, I, I mean, I just happened to have been following him on Twitter yeah. uh, as as I was, uh, you know, seeing, especially like he, he's one of those kind of uh, um, tweeters that has like a fresh voice and is not ashamed to like have an opinion, right? Have an opinion, self-promote uh, like Scott Derrickson and that whole crew of uh, kind of uh, the newer newer wave of mainstream horror people and um yeah like happy death the happy death day movies are fun i haven't seen freaky yet but i've heard great things oh freaky's fantastic i think one of the better horror films of the last couple of years so yeah i was honestly surprised that it, it almost feels like he's like uh i don't know when did he do we know when he wrote this or like why <laughs> it seemed like he had finally no, graduated I, from this I, franchise you no know it was weird about this one too and it's like it's a tougher movie to do a film trace on because um, there's next to zero interviews. Right. No press were, junket. No press junket. Um, it was originally supposed to be in theaters, I believe, in February of last year, maybe. Um, and they kept pushing it and like, oh, yeah, we're going to put it in theaters. And I'm like, oh, wait a second. We need to get more subscriptions to Paranormal or Paranormal, uh, Paramount <laughs> Paranormal Plus. Plus. <laughs> now that'd be a subscription <laughs> service. Hey, Miser, not. Yeah. Um, and so they dumped it on uh, Paramount Plus. And. Um, you know, I don't know. It, it It's clear to me that it, what's crazy about this is the guy, huge box office reporter, I forget his name, but he writes for Forbes, Scott something, Mendelssohn, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote a whole article about this in the last couple of days about how this movie could have done well at the box office. That's delusional. thing. Like, there, there's no way <laughs> in hell this movie is making more than $4 million over the Halloween weekend. Yeah. Um. So it was dumped. There's not a lot of information about it. We don't know when it was written. We don't even know how it was developed. Like I was looking at Deadline. Like Deadline's kind of like the Bible for movie development. Like who, mm-hmm. when people get uh, cast, when a script gets sold, stuff like that. Nothing. So it sounds like you know Christopher Landon's kind of the house writer at at the Blumverse, as I call it. And um, they probably just tapped him like, "Hey, do you want to do this?" I mean, like, and, you know, I think it was probably just a quick cash grab. um or just they maybe they were bored or something and they needed something to do um which sounds bizarre but it does happen in these situations especially like a place like blumhouse productions where it's kind of a factory model where it's just constantly churning out films no matter what they don't want any downtime um so yeah it's a little bit of um a gray or sort of a gray area here about what how this came to be but it does really have the feeling of a movie that was not meant to be found footage and also not meant to be paranormal activity right like it feels like christopher landon wrote this as maybe like a standalone feature that he wanted to do or something um because it doesn't really relate to the other movies and the found footage i find kind of almost distracting yeah um now the question is would it work without the found footage i don't know what do you think about that like let me throw that back at you what do you could it work i mean at all because then it would just what be uh this character of margo um you know traveling to yeah. the amish community like the other clear i mean i don't know it's hard so, i mean i guess now is the time for the spoiler alert uh spoil this thing i i don't i don't know if i'd recommend watching it um but i mean it is it's kind of interesting as a curio maybe um for uh horror fanatics um especially considering the the history of the found footage subgenre my main thing is uh i'm 
not only distracted from those moments that clearly like shouldn't be found footage or they like stray away from like the true you know thinking about is this supposed to be part of their documentary or yeah is the camera rolling just to collect like there's so many things the that pile up from the fact that they're (laughs) in amish community that doesn't allow um you know technology from the fact that they are uh uh you know operating without electricity and so they're relying on a generator but also like if they're you know, relying on a generator, why are they taking, like, using up so much battery life for, you know, random conversations? Yeah. Um, and, but then there's, you know, the reveal that is, like, maybe a, a not, like, not even a full reveal, because there's not really much other explanation, but that, uh, you know, they're not actually all Amish, and that the, the, the patriarch of the family actually has a laptop that he's been, like, using to um, plan this uh, luring of Margot to their community um, where it just doesn't it's like there's so many unanswered questions that uh, you definitely get to the point where like even as the tension starts ratcheting up your your mind's going in a million different directions wondering how everything actually works when oh, it clearly it mean, doesn't. It doesn't yeah. I mean it doesn't work at all. Like I so kind of like, gave up on that immediately. Okay. Yeah. But my theory is that um maybe this is like one of I'm guessing since when this was like a really like booming franchise. Yeah. And Landon was clearly like dedicated uh to Blum and that whatever that vision was, which was definitely like more of a product vision than an artistic vision. Absolutely. Yeah. And so he probably just like churned out a bunch of treatments, right. For like yeah. potential paranormal activities. And when, you know, uh, <laughs> when, when they decided to like, try to go back, I mean, everybody was doing a lot of flailing, grasping at straws during the pandemic. And I yeah. imagine that Blumhouse did that too. And so they, pulled out Landon's old treatments and like, what about this one? Cause midsummer was, you know, the talk of the town. So let's try to do something in that vein. And Landon is probably like, sure, you can do whatever you want with it. Just, you know, don't put another writer's name on it. I don't know. Like, is uh, it-, it, it feels like to me, like this is something where uh, I feel like the Blumverse, they have like lunch pitch meetings. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. like, I think like <laughs> Bloom had like a Ruben, like in his mouth and he's just like with like like mustard on his face and landon goes what about the amish and then then like he almost like blom almost chokes on his sandwich sauerkraut writes it down that's the one that's the one i did like that's like my whole vision of how that works i mean it's like very it reminds me of like maybe like uh like the old um record studios you know yeah. like eventually like churning out hits like a loosey goosey boys club yeah 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 um and uh yeah i mean that definitely has that feel to it where it's sort of like yeah i, I will say this though okay so this thing was filmed in what Jan- july 2021 so not that long ago right that's crazy um it's like how long have they spend editing this thing clearly not that long um <laughs> in any event i yeah i it, it does feel tacked on it. The story itself, like diving deeper into that part of it. Um, here's the thing. I got to say, I liked this movie. <laughs> like I legitimately really enjoyed it. And like every 10 minutes I was like, well, I should hate this. Shouldn't I? Like this mm-hmm. is paranormal activity, which I hate. I don't like. 
uh it's clearly uh a cash grab during the pandemic but you stated like it feels that way but for some reason it kind of works for me because i will say this yeah i'm ready um, for it I do not expect these movies to make sense. Low expectations. Got it. Very low expectations. Also, you know, I think to me, it's sort of like the horror genre is very easy to get. It's a, a genre where you can do very little and accomplish a lot. Like you don't have to do that much in a horror movie to sort of satisfy, I think, the core audience of those films give me sex give me gore give me some sort of ghoul uh and like people are gonna be happy right and i don't, I don't think i'm being sort of disingenuous. so like yeah, that's pretty true and i think this movie this movie kind of checks most of those boxes and it does it in a way that is at least i thought entertaining um this is a genre pick this right. is you know and i'm reading a lot of these reviews and reactions and i mean we can even just hop to that a little bit uh, horrific so to speak mm-hmm. um but 22 percent on rotten tomatoes from uh, all critics uh oh, this metacritic's probably not right it's an old one <laughs> um rotten tomatoes the rt score of 39 percent a letterbox score of a 48 which one is one of the lowest ones i've ever seen um i don't really get the negative response here like and i, and I read through these reviews and i'm sort of like well, what did you expect? Like this movie was shot yeah. for next to nothing during the pandemic. You know, it's part of the paranormal activity series. So it's kind of going to be a little bit. It's the seventh movie in that series. Like you don't go into like Halloween, you know, nine thinking, oh, this is going to be, uh, you know, the, the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. But, but did you enjoy Halloween Kills? I hated Halloween films <laughs> because right. even when when you're right, the 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 expectations should be minimal and they should be adjusted. Uh, I do still think that you're always hoping that there will be some kind of surprise. Well, you, I, don't find, you don't find this any of this surprising. You know, I well, I'll I'll say like it held my interest, but yeah. like. I think that that's because like I was curious about like picking it apart and you know, but I, I was I was definitely like you know rolling my eyes at all of the fake jump scares of the uh you know first like basically hour of the film um you know the 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 musical stings attempt in a in an attempt to like yeah uh, punctuate certain suspenseful moments um but I I think where I do agree with you is that you know they've they've got their formula and they know it's watchable so like that that's good enough for them but in the end i still think that uh you know it's it's one of those things where it 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 held my interest but i'm gonna forget about it i would have forgotten about it already if we weren't doing a podcast about it um <laughs> it's it I mean it's just it's more product than it is anything else and yeah I, and that's true i mean i'll agree with you it's a product at the end yeah. of the day. like it's not meant um the goal here is not to win an oscar oscar or like a um anything like that like there's no intention here but i i would say this though it kind of does remind me you know of here's what it doesn't feel like and you're going to remember this kind of time period think back to early 2000s horror 
uh, I think post Texas Chainsaw Massacre reboot, which came out in 2003. I mean, um, there is this glut of lower budget um, major studio horror reboots and knockoffs and stuff like that. And the one that like really pops into my head is House of Wax. Oh yeah. Um, do you remember that? And like, there's just this style of horror back then that was the same thing. It was a product, but whereas back then it felt like super commercial and um very very lame. I felt like there was some sort of creative spark going on here. Uh, I don't know if you saw that at all, or is it? It, it, it just felt. It, this did not feel like I was watching House of Wax, um, well, or the see, remake I, of Last House <laughs> on the Left. You know what I mean? Like it had a yeah. very different vibe to it. I quite, I quite enjoy the the House of Wax remake because oh, it leans God. into, like, I mean, it's but there's that thing is like, there it feels like Next of Kin is, uh, tr- constantly trying to toe that line between serious and leaning into the genre and i i think house of wax knew exactly what it was and it it it, it pulled into its trashiness i haven't watched it for years i'm probably wrong but <laughs> i think you're absolutely you gotta go but like i if i'm going to have a good time and actually like you know uh embrace the genre-ness of a horror movie i want it to really i it's a personal thing maybe I, I I want the trash give me the trash i mean this is pretty trashy like there's a devil living underneath the farmhouse <laughs> or sorry the church that's you know spoiler alert uh her mother well, you're not gonna care you're not gonna watch anyways yeah um <laughs> you know like it's pretty trashy like that's and that's something i liked about it is that it's like this is like this is really low rent stuff right but like kind of fun Kind of a fun adventure. Kind of. It's, it's just. <laughs> what are the drone shots? Come on. Oh my gosh. <laughs> there, but yeah, I mean, I think that I don't. Do you think that you're going to remember this though next year? No, 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 no. I'm not going to remember this. Okay, no okay. way. I, Although so you know, I think what's her, the the lead's really good. Um, what's her name? Emily Bader. Yeah, she's not bad. Like she's the, good. Who's solid? It, um, I mean the the boyfriend guy. I don't know. I could take her, leave him. Ronald um, Buck the third. Yes, the the comic relief sound guy. He's all right. He's, um, good. He's a big, I think, comedian, uh, comedy like podcast dude. Dan okay. Leipert, I believe his name is. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, the whole Amish cast though is just phoning it in. It kind made me offensive. think. I'm a fan. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I almost made me think, like, are they trying to do something where they're, like, using actual, like, off-the-grid people um, as their cast? But no, it's just it's just a bunch of bad actors with one or two scenes. Um, let's see what the critics said. I have yes, some good, good critical stuff. Uh, I'll start with the negatives, because those are a little bit more exciting. Um, Gene Allen Johnson from San Francisco Chronicle. Uh, to get through the first hour, the characters have to be interesting. But these self-absorbed <laughs> Gen Z wannabe filmmakers are anything but. Which I think is a point you kind of brought up too. Um, kind of yeah, boring first hour doesn't go anywhere, right? Right. I don't know if I'd say they're self-absorbed. That's I mean, not, other yeah, that's not that, really true at all. Yeah, that seems like some generation generational generalizations. And usually, uh, self-absorbed would be millennials. Gen Z is considered not as self-absorbed. Right. Um, so whatever uh what else you got um let's see uh 
uh, it's clearly an original story that has been slapped with the paranormal activity label, and that only adds to the sense that there's little creative depth here. I mean, I don't know if I agree with that. No, I mean, we were just talking about that. That's Brian yeah, Teller, of Roger Ebert. He, okay, I have a whole artistic theory here that I'm going to throw out <laughs> at you. Right? Like, I think there is this odd um, sort of desire to create something that is not within a, a well-worn frame. Mm-hmm. Right? People always want to like, oh, it's not experimental enough. I've seen this before, blah, blah, blah. There is so much creativity that can happen within pretty strict boundaries. And in fact, I would posit that like it's you can get uh, more creativity and richness in a piece of work if you create those boundaries. Like breaking through boundaries is not really something. And this could be genres or how you're using the camera, anything like that. Um, That's really not for everybody. You know what I mean? That's not for uh, the average filmmaker to do. They can try, but there's only a few people that can do it and do it well. Uh, so I don't know. I, I just I don't get the whole like, oh, it's kind of too genre. It's too tropey. But like there can be a lot of creativity in doing that. You know what I mean? Right. Well, I think but I I think maybe uh, and this might be semantics, but creative depth is different than creative breadth. Right. And. I think that- well, I think that's but that's where I disagree with this review. I think there's a lot of depth here in the creativity. <laughs> it's this well, just hear me out, hear me out because it's a deep well that the <laughs> demon's at the bottom of. I mean, there, hmm, how do I put this and not sound like a crazy person? <laughs> like these characters, like these that. characters are just like, uh, they're the characters are flat, the story's convoluted, the you know style is all over the place it doesn't actually adhere to the found footage uh rules like it's not dogmatic so like yeah. where what it feels it i think it's i think it's easy to uh uh um find like those like you mentioned like it's there's nothing wrong with like looking for that kind of genre work that's watchable and uh you know good enough but to admit that there's no there's not much depth there it's just kind of like scattered and ephemeral okay well, hold on hold on let's keep going <laughs> on this right so like i approach this movie like i would have approached a straight to dvd film which yeah. if you're younger you don't really know what you're talking about but uh, so straight DVD would be like, you know, early 2000s, 2002, 2003, whatever, when DVDs were just starting to get take off. And then, like there would be these movies that were produced to just sell DVDs. Never in a theater, nothing like that. Really schlocky, really bad. I approach this movie like that. And today the equivalent would be like straight to VOD. Like you don't even see it in theaters. It's a straight to like premium DVD for like six bucks. Uh, you're like, what is this movie? Like, I don't know what this is. It's on like your Comcast or whatever. Uh that's how I approach this movie. And to me, if I'm using that as the framework here, like it's that type of budget, it's that type of just, you know, low quality, then it it frees me up to see things in this that are like good. I thought a lot of the camera work was fantastic. I thought the locations were really well done. Um, and there's just stuff about this, like the musical cues I thought were very good as well. Um, the final sequence I thought was fantastic um again all within the framework of this is a direct to vod film essentially (laughs) 
right? And now we have to figure out new rules because it's direct to streaming, which is even lower, you know what I mean? Like even lower than a straight to DVD movie. Because uh, no one's going to pay for money to see this. They're just going to have Paramount Plus and then cancel it. Um, but I don't know, like unless they watch Champions League like I do. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I, I, don't know. I, just, I think that there is something here that is interesting. But I would relate it over to like music. Right. Like if you came across a band that clearly does not have even an indie label behind it, probably, uh, and they're making stuff and they're putting up on Bandcamp, you know, you're not going to listen to it the same way you would listen to, um, you know, something that is, you know, has tens of thousands of hours behind it in production. Right. Hmm. I mean, so like, don't you cut them? Don't you see that a little bit differently? I don't know. I think there's an interesting, actually, parallel now that you you got me thinking about this, uh, especially regarding like the final sequence of Next of Kin, where um, arguably, and Anya Stanley says this in AV Club, uh, it pulls itself together during the climax, relocating the demonic mayhem from a single home to an entire village before building to a muted but disturbing ending that echoes the conclusions of earlier films in the series. Uh, I mean, it's kind of it. it, it feels to me it's interesting that it's happening the same year that maybe one of the best uh or most interesting uh horror tv series came out i know you're a fan too of midnight mass oh unbelievable masterpiece um, and i've seen this i forget where i'm uh, i read it i closed my tab um but there there is definitely a similarity there right of the 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 demon kind of taking over and everybody's killing each other basically in this uh secluded uh community Mm-hmm. And um, that is so much. And you're going to definitely argue that they're they're different things trying to do different things. But I they ultimately this is I think a, a strong correlation where like that series was clearly carefully planned out with tons of characterization as well as plotting, and here it's just kind of slapped on the end. Uh, yeah that's true but like mike flanagan got like a decade to write that right you know what i mean like that was not that is a true work that's like a that's like a novel that he's been working on for a decade yeah and i think uh, maybe i'm repeating myself now but i'm just saying like if we're gonna look for something slapdash it's I, i want it to be something that's gonna um that's gonna either raise my pulse or uh uh, make me laugh out loud or both and i got i got like i was like you know uh on my recliner at eleven thirty at night as that was wrapping up and i was just like yep okay <laughs> <laughs> next yeah it's uh, it's, tepid. it's i don't know i don't i see the inklings of it like i see a lot of sparks this, man i see a lot of creative sparks in this this it's clearly like this Landon guy is talented, yes, but this yeah. is his scraps. <laughs> <laughs> this is his free his scraps from Freaky. Yeah, um, which I mean, yeah, you got to see Freaky because it's like I, it, I, I you got to see within the context of like that movie and like what because it just it feels like you're right. It feels like a B side to those movies is what it feels like, um, which I kind of enjoy. I like B sides; they're a little bit weird. Um, <laughs> deep cut, deep cut, deep cut. I mean, okay, here's the deal on this: like, nobody likes this movie besides like five people, <laughs> and I'm one of those five people, and I will admit it. Um, but I think you know, if you're into like, if you like, you said, if you're into paranormal activity, you see it. If you're just kind of interested in like what's out there in horror right now, um, 
I would check it out. Like it's it's a it's a interesting watch, uh, especially if you're into filmmaking. I would say, like there's a it's, kind of cool coolness to what's going on there. It's probably still a safer bet than Army of Thieves no, on Netflix. Watch Nobody watched that. There's no reason <laughs> Zack Snyder's have that much power. Um, any any closing thoughts on Paranormal Activity next? Do you, okay, here's a question for you. Do you feel like they're going to keep this thing going? <sighs> I mean, because it's open to a sequel, right? Because they get away. Spoiler that alert. That is true. The, the yeah, the demon uh, escapes, which I guess is the one connective thread, right? This Osmodius I guess it's guys. the same demon as the one from the original who haunts. How the exactly? Girl, I'm not sure. Whatever. I don't. I don't. I feel like this feels kind of like a sputtering fume, and if if the box office recovers, like it seems like it's going to at least somewhat um, over the course of the next year. Uh, I feel like Blum's going to have something else um, up his sleeve. Or if he doesn't, I've... it's it's going to be going... If he goes back to that well, then I feel like... At what point do you taint like the Blumhouse brand? Oh, I think it's it been tainted. Means... Yeah, you think so? I think so, yeah. I think the moment I realized it was tainted was um, Black Christmas remake, which came mm, out yeah. in I think, December 2019. No, he had like a few men. Uh, Fantasy Island, I want to say, was also him as well. Uh, the Blumpers. Okay. Yeah, and it was really rough. But then he, you know, it was like Black Christmas. Fantasy Island was like, oh, this is not good. And then uh, Invincible Man. He, he They produced Invisible Man, which is one of the better horror movies I've seen in the last decade. Maybe they're going to, maybe they should wise up and uh, do their elevated horror brand and then their schlock horror brand. Well, they got the Wolfman thing, Werewolf of Ryan Gosling. They're doing that as part right. of that whole like universal. It's like it's like the budget bin dark verse. Remember because they're monster verse because <laughs> right. they tried yeah, to do yeah. the mummy with yeah. So they're, they're, they they said Blumhouse, you're the way to go. You're way cheaper than Tom Cruise. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I don't think we're gonna see another Paranormal Activity movie anytime soon because uh, yeah. this is kind of a flop, and I think. The fact that they put it on streaming and the critics don't really like it uh, and the audiences don't really like it, it's a huge loss across the board. Um, they're all, everybody else is wrong except for me. Um, <laughs> but uh, now we're going to say that. But yeah, it, this model is too lucrative to turn, you know, they're just going to keep going. I do wonder, though, if it does kind of hit a brick wall at some point. Because, like, I'm kind of, I mean, I watch this because we're doing the podcast. If we didn't do the podcast, I would never watch this. No, absolutely <laughs> There's no way. not. Like I would not spend two hours of... to watch this thing. <laughs> right. If there especially if there's any other kind of competition out there. Yeah, like like a thousand great streaming series like Dope yeah. Sick or Midnight Matt. Like you know, there's a thousand yeah, there's so much other content to watch out there besides something like this. And uh I'm glad I did watch it though, because it was just a a really fascinating trip for me. Um <laughs> maybe it's just my little trip that I had. Um it sounds like it. In any event, okay. That's Printer Activity. Uh, what do we have? I guess I picked the next one, didn't I? Yeah, um, what'd you get? I did Body Heat. Uh, and we do Fortieth have... Annie. Um, Yeah, we do have the Neo Noir from uh, yeah, 1981. And we do have special guest and great friend of the podcast, Molly, will be on as a guest for that episode. Um, that should Looking be fun. Uh, yeah, it's streaming now on HBO Max. Um, I watched it, it once uh, having a fever dream back in like 2011 so it'll be interesting to revisit it's a real doozy all right folks thanks for listening this has been film trace